on that trophy. Second season running, that she's done so in the colours of Manchester City. Oh, lovely footwork there from Weah! A special goal in a special game from Caroline Weah. That is world class. That is outstanding. A worldie from Weah. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of MCW Fancast. I'm Emma, thanks for listening. On this week's show, we're joined by a special guest, Dan Pentland, Chief Editor from the FAWSL Full-Time Magazine. We'll be rounding up the international break and looking ahead to the weekend, the FA Cup final against West Ham United. Dan, thank you for joining me. How are you doing? Great to welcome you back on the podcast. Yeah, good, thanks, Emma. Hope you're well too. I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, great to have you back. Um, obviously, international break coming off the back of the international break, looking ahead to the weekend and the semi-finals of the FA Cup. Um, let's just round up the international break then. A bit of a strange one because we're we've now sort of moved the focus for internationally to sort of the World Cup. <laughs> There's so much to cram in at the minute. Yeah, I mean, um, we're nearly there for the World Cup, I suppose. One more point. Um, I thought North Macedonia was. You know, 10-0, you can't really complain at that. Northern Ireland's call-line was probably a little bit bigger than what I was expecting. Um, I know that there's a few gripes out there about team selection, and um, I suppose it's not so bad for you guys with that many City players in, but if you're winning games and scoring goals, you can't really criticise, you know what I mean? It's, you know, if, if it doesn't go right in the Euros, then you kind of have the inquest and say, well, who could have been playing, who wasn't playing, and that sort of thing, but... I think all the players who were selected did really well. Two good games, two clean sheets. We're scoring goals and it's a world away from the Phil Neville era, I suppose, where we were, you know, we might have struggled against, you know, certainly the second opponent, but maybe struggled to score as many goals as we have scored. You know, we don't obviously know what um, the England squad is going to be looking like for the Euros. There's been a lot of transition at the moment. We've seen players and, you know, new faces within the squad and a lot of youth in there too. And what have you made of obviously this camp and the performances that you've seen? I think everybody's stepped up a level again. Um, I think there's maybe two places up for grabs maximum. Um, One might have Chloe Kelly's name on it if she proves to be fit enough, possibly. Um, one might be for somebody else who's maybe on the edge of things, but um, yeah, I think probably 21 of the is it 23 players you can select or 24 players. Um, I think 21 players will probably be pretty much assured of their positions now, unless you get any injuries along the way. But yeah, um, I think the players are continuing to perform very consistently. Um, they know, know each other inside out, you can see that on the pitch. and. Yeah, nice to see lots of different players scoring lots of goals and keeping clean sheets at the other end. Yeah, obviously you went along to the game at Windsor Park as well and, you know, a great turnout as well there and a great result for England. Um, what did you make of the game and, and the atmosphere there? Yeah, I was a bit unsure going into the game because, um, you know, Northern Ireland have done very well, um, albeit the Austria result put them under a lot of pressure to get something from England that night. Um, but, you know, they've, they've done really well over the last couple of years and developed and, you know, players, you know, maybe unfashionable players, if you like, kind of step outside the box when they're playing for Northern Ireland and, you know, seem to go on another level. You look at Sarah McFadden, for example, I think she had, I said that she had Ellen White in a, in a pocket for most of that game. So, yeah, I was a bit kind of, I didn't know what to expect from the game, but again, credit to England because they got a goal relatively early on. I think they were, 
first team in seven games to score in the first half against Northern Ireland. And, you know, they obviously pushed on the second half and again under Serena, they didn't let up and, you know, another four goals. So on paper, it looked like a, you know, a cracking result and never really give Northern Ireland a chance to get even the slightest kind of toe into the game, I suppose. Did you think that it was a good opportunity to to try a few things out? It almost looked as though... Uh, there was a, a few kind of different ideas being put into play. It certainly sort of translated like that in the in the sort of first half, I think, especially. Yeah, I think um, I think we've got to get used to the fact now that Serena doesn't like to change things very much. If um, you know she's got her eleven, and then it's up to the remainder. Ways. <laughs> yeah, the remainder in that squad and anybody outside of the squad, I suppose, it's up to them to then force the issue to get the place in the team. Occasionally, one or two players might get opportunities, like we saw with, I think it was Hannah Hampton, for example, got a, a game. But yeah, I think the players who were playing kind of gaming game out, if you like it, you know, she's maybe trying little different things with them. They're connecting very well. They know each other very well. I mean, Lauren Hemp and Beth Meady on either side seem to be really nicely balanced. And um, no, I think it's all very positive. You know, Euros are only four, what, three, four months away, three months away less than that I suppose now isn't it um, but you know we've got a consistent team we kind of know which players we, we're cheering on each time that England play and you know you, you can't knock the fact that we're getting results as, as I say the only time you can is when it goes wrong or you know when, we, when we're not scoring goals or not entertaining but yeah I understand the frustrations of some maybe you know calling for other players to be selected but you can't you can't change a winning team I think is the uh the old kind of saying, isn't it? It's always the same though, isn't it? When the internationals come around and everyone's anticipating the, you know, those call-ups and who's going to be, you know, selected for the squad. But it's a good opportunity, these sort of games. I mean, I know the next the next camp is looking more like, you know, friendlies and opportunities to obviously bring more players in just to see and test the water a little bit before obviously we look further ahead as to what that, you know, 23 squad, strong squad is going to look like for the Euros. You know, we've seen that those players that have come into the squad that perhaps haven't had as many games or has got as many England caps on it about that, you know, they're worthy. Uh, and, you know, there are still players that haven't even managed to find a way into the squad that, you know, people are obviously Ashley Neville and, you know, that have had fantastic seasons and, and still kind of being overlooked. I mean, should we be looking at, at more players to be coming up to be selected just to sort of appease everyone? Or or is it, should we be looking at far more? Obviously, people talk about that longevity, the loyalty. You know, there are perhaps a few players within the squad that, you know, this might be their last major tournament. So, you know, you want to see them in the mix. I think it's also important that, you know, though it's great to see you've uh, called up, we've still got a kind of find that fine balance with the experienced players as well. Yeah, I kind of feel that, you know, the squad, what it is now is the squad that we're probably going to see at the Euros, as I say, minus one or two. I know she's waiting on injuries, so Chloe Kelly's obviously one in terms of a fitness. Steph's probably other, the other, but, you know, although hers is probably a little bit more 50-50 possibly. Um, you know, if, if anything, I can only really see those, those couple of players coming in and, you know, I've got a, a feeling you know, a little kind of hunch, if you like, on one or two who might miss out. Um, but it feels like they're going to be part of this cycle. And then obviously, if they, if they win the Euros, then fantastic. You know, Serena's done a great job. If um, if we don't, then I suppose at that point, the question's got to be asked who wasn't up to it. 
you know, and, and when we're thinking about the World Cup cycle next year and preparations for that, I suppose we then need to think about, you know, well, she didn't select Ashley, Le- Ashley Neville, for example. Should she have been in the squad? And, you know, maybe then, you know, that pull kind of gets opened up to, you know, another four or five players coming in to try and kind of mix it up. But, yeah, it, it feels like a little bit of a closed net, which, as I say, if we're getting results, I'm, I'm not too... Um, unhappy about that but yeah I think the opportunities will come but I think it might be a case of opportunities ahead of the World Cup rather than ahead of the Euros because you know obviously she hasn't had much rotation and you know we've only got a couple of months now until the Euros it's, it's going to need to be something drastic I think um, to change but the noises I'm hearing from Serena is that um, Chloe Kelly is definitely a player who could be of interest to, to her squad if she proves a fitness in these next few games. Yeah, definitely. And obviously we've seen Chloe Kelly come back, you know, off the bench and it's great to see her just back out on the pitch, you know, for Sissy because it has been, you know, as we know, those sort of injuries are, are very long. It's a, a, a long process for the player and to come back from that and get up to you know, that match fitness as well and do everything that's needed in terms of the recovery and the rehabilitation to, to to get back out on the pitch. I mean, it is really difficult for those sort of players as well. So it's kind of great that she's back for club, but still fantastic that she's still being potentially looked at for the country as well. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's worked out. I mean, I'm, I'm not... I'm not a doctor, but it feels like, you know, to be out with that injury for about a year is probably about the average time. I mean, you know, it could have been, you look at some some players who've had a similar injury and, you know, you may be talking 15 months and, you know, if that was Chloe, then she'd have probably missed the Euros. She, should, she certainly wouldn't have been in contention, I don't think. But, yeah, I think it's fantastic for her to be able to get back out. I mean, she's been, she's been probably back in some kind of training since Christmas, hasn't she, I think, as well. And, you know, yeah it's, yeah, it's good to be able to come back, but then also obviously get five or six really big games under a belt to try and kind of prove her worth to the England squad, but also to City as well, because obviously there's still a lot of prizes to to play for for a club. So, yeah, it's, it's really good. Obviously, these injuries seem to happen too often. It feels like we've got loads of players suffering from them. I don't know what more we can do to kind of help. Obviously, I think Rhea Percival's just got one at Spurs in the last week as well. So, yeah, that, that's the disappointing side of it. But at least in the case of Chloe, she's obviously been fit for the Euros, you know, should she be selected. And, and like you said, it is a, an awful injury to sustain. And there obviously is a lot of research going into why this perhaps we do see this perhaps that little bit more in the women's game. I mean, Eva Mannion, again, you know, we saw obviously with her time at City and how how, you know, how well documented she made that journey in her rehabilitation as well, which was really interesting. And unfortunately, she's succumbed to it once again at United. It is just a, a devastating injury, isn't it? Yeah, it's a weird one because, you know, you don't seem to hear from about it as much in the men's game. That's the strange thing. I'm sure players do get ACL injuries in the men's game, but you don't hear as much about it. But it feels like in the women's game, you can almost go through any squad and somebody's got an ACL injury. As I say, there's one at Spurs this week. Obviously, you say about Aoife Mannion. I think Taya Goldie, the young girl at Arsenal's, had a recent one. You've got somebody at Everton with one who's hit and miss for the Euros. Yeah, it's absolutely... It's 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 crazy. But yeah, you, you have got to wonder what is it which is causing the issue and is there anything at all we can do 
you know, in terms of, you know, the, the fitness routine or, you know, the, from the medical side or even in terms of, you know, the kit and, you know, that side of it, is there anything we can do to help? Because, yeah, it feels like, you know, it's, it feels like certainly, I, I don't know, you know, every club has one across the season, if not more. Um, you know, it's, you're reading about it as a, a regular occurrence. So it's still, it was a, a major issue last year and it's still a major issue this year. Um, just in terms of England though, and, and obviously looking ahead now, do you feel obviously that we've kind of come up of this new sort of era, this new sort of age and and this new sort of mentality within the England squad and in terms of success? Do you think that heading into a, a, to- a tournament and hosting a tournament as well, which is going to be incredible for the, su- you know, for the summer and for the Williams game too. How do you see England's chances in terms of success? I think we've been playing for 90 minutes in every game and I think that's um, that's got to be a positive. That's maybe something we haven't really seen a lot of in the past. You know, we'll, we'll go and hit three or four goals past an opponent and we might we might kind of ease off a little bit, but that hasn't been the case. So, you know, if you're playing for 90 minutes, you're trying to score lots and lots of goals, then that can only be a good thing. You know, fans, regardless of the opponent, want to see the team score goals. So, you know, I know we've been hammering teams left, right and centre, but, um, you know, I don't mind that personally. If you score goals, then, you know, fans go home happy. So, yeah, it bodes well for the Euros, obviously. We also proved that we can match the likes of Spain and Germany and Canada and the uh, the Arnold Clark as well. So, from that aspect, it feels like you know we're we're in a good place in terms of taking on the big opponents this summer as well. So, you know, obviously the crowds and the stand are going to help as well. You know, are we ever going to have with the coach and the players and the the whole kind of atmosphere and you know, the, the setting, are we ever kind of going to have a better chance of winning the Euros? Probably not. It's, you know, this is the moment that we've got to try and win the tournament and sell that game further to the, you know, to the audience. Definitely. And in terms of growing the state, growing the game, sorry, and the, and the stage, obviously we're, we're going to be put on this little bit of a pedestal with so many countries watching us too. I mean, we've seen obviously how, how well that did for, for France, are you expecting sort of come next season that we could perhaps see some bigger crowds? I think we covered it recently, actually, a little bit. Um, I think, yes, but I think the clubs have to be very proactive in what they're doing. Um, I think we used, uh, you know, I, th- I think it was speaking with Hope Powell recently about uh, the, the Brighton game against Arsenal. And I think it was a quarter to seven kickoff on a Sunday evening, which... We know how 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 much of a hard sell that is to get people in the stadium. But um, to be fair on them, I mean they put transport on for the fans to out to Crawley, which is you know it's not the closest to Brighton in the world. Um, they put on a ticket deal, I think they they put on a hospitality package which sold out days before the game. They kind of made it accessible and for you know the the kind of it made it an attractive option for fans at that time of night on a Sunday evening. Um, so I think a lot of clubs that can learn from that to make sure that the ticketing's right, that you know the transport's right, the match day experience is right. Um, so yeah, I think the Euros can give us a platform, but you know it's we're almost giving a tool to clubs to then be able to develop it in their own kind of respective fields. And you know it's it's very much up to the clubs whether they embrace the 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 legacy of the Euros and build on it or whether we're still talking about similar crowds and similar challenges again next year. I kind of hope not, because do you know what? My expectancy off of the back of COVID, I, I expected more. I honestly thought people would be back in the stands, 
you know, I, th- I thought the average attendances would grow. And, you know, for the showpiece games, yeah, we've seen, you know, those, you know, bigger attendances. But in terms of just the, the average game itself, um, I know just focusing on City, but other clubs too, um, that, you know, not necessarily seeing the, the, the better of that really. And it just always, it just shows that there is still so, so, so much more we need to do and, and so far that we need to go as well to sort of just grow this game a bit more for, further, you know, reach out to another audience, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think straight after COVID, I think there was a dip. Um, I think there was a real dip in the crowds and, you know, I don't know whether it was the confidence in going out in COVID. Obviously, people at times had to take tests and you had that thing if was some towns and cities in tier three and tier two and, you know, you can go to a game, but you can't go to a game or, you know, you can travel to the next county and go and watch a game, but you can't watch one on your own doorstep and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that that probably didn't help. Um, initially, the Sky deal maybe didn't help the fact that it was too accessible to watch games and obviously they've done quite a good job with the coverage, although the kickoff times are open to debate and as far as I'm aware they're still under trial as well so they could change next season hopefully you know particularly particularly the Sunday evening (laughs) I don't mind the times but the Sunday evening isn't one of my um favorites it's impossible to get back from anywhere on a Sunday evening yeah um but yeah um it it feels like it's gathering a bit more momentum and I don't know if that's the Euros or you know, the fact that people have got more confidence with COVID, that they're seeing that there's a good product out there and it's arguably better than what it was before COVID. Um, so, yeah, it feels like we're building, but there's an awful long way to go. But as I say, I think I think the basics have to be right for me. I think, yeah, clubs need to think. I mean, again, we I know that City fans have obviously had um, frustrations with men's and women's teams playing at the same time and again to bring Brighton back into it I think next weekend they play Birmingham and um, they purposely changed that game to a Saturday because the men were playing on the Sunday um, it's a simple move it shouldn't be rocket science but obviously you know they'll get a good they'll get a crowd for both games now whereas you know if they'd have left them the same it was one or the other so there needs to be a common sense approach. You know, clubs need to be thinking about how they can tra- attract fans. As I say, how they can sell it as a match day, and you know that all-round experience. Um, and if they do that, then you know I think it's already been proved at one or two clubs. Spurs, another one who seem to have done well with their crowds. That um, you know, if it's done right, there's no reason why we can't be filling stadiums without having to go into the Etihad or Old Trafford, and you know claim those crowds you know it's there you know there's no reason why there can't be two three four thousand at the academy stadium for me what works for me that I you know we've not seen for a while is when City do the the double headers you know where the men might be playing at the Etihad and then you know the women will be playing at the academy and that seems to draw a good crowd too and obviously we've not been able to facilitate that this season but they're just little things, just little steps when, you know, obviously deciding, uh, you know, when these fixtures and, uh, you know, will be played and stuff that I think we need to really take into consideration. And, you know, I, I think this this season has been a bit of a hard sell, you know, not just for us, just for everyone. Um, you know, like you said, off the back of COVID, I think there has been some anxiety for people, you know, getting back out and, 
you know, doing sort of normal things or, you know, because obviously we're, we're still living with COVID at the moment and it's it's been quite difficult for everyone, hasn't it? It's great that people are, you know, it, it was great for me to obviously see a lot of fans travel to Belfast, you know, for the England game uh, against Northern Ireland, you know, because it was just so great that everyone was documenting a journey and a lot of people were saying, you know, this is the first trip, this is the first plane that I've taken, you know, since pre-COVID and a lot of fan, a few of the fans were saying, you know, my last trip was actually to, you know, the World Cup, to the Women's World Cup and and I think for me, that was, again, personally, I can, you know, resonate with that because, again, that was the last time I took uh, my last flight was out to France for the final. So, you know, it's just great that people are getting the confidence to go back out to travel to, you know, to go to these games too. So it is really sad, I think, that reflect, we reflect back on this season as kind of like, it's been, it's, it's been a, a great season, it's been competitive, but again, there's not been that many fans in the stands to kind of enjoy it. And I think I think the broadcast deal, like you said, has a bit of a factor in, in that in terms of like, you know, like you said, the coverage has been so good. It's not necessarily been able to just stay at home and watch the games and not necessarily leave, <laughs> leave to go out and watch the game. Whereas, you know, for me, because the, 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 the coverage was so not so great, I always kind of you felt like you had to make an effort, you know, to get to the games a little bit more, you know, to the away games. And, you know, I mean, I'm an avid uh, follower, obviously, to to the home games, but, you know, for the away games, I I didn't want to miss a thing, you know what I mean? So I understand that it's been difficult for people, but, you know, like you said, a a lot of this is all, all under sort of trial and there'll be some sort of consultation, you think, come to the end of the season as to, you know, reflect on what they've done and what they can possibly do better next season. And, and let's hope that they do listen to fans and there will be some sort of consultation period where they do obviously take all that on board, especially when it comes to the classes and the kickoffs and, you know, the unreasonable travel time. I mean, I know a lot of fans are having to get up at like four or five o'clock in the morning to obviously make that trip down to West Ham at the weekend. And and you said yourself, you know, you're travelling and getting up early. I mean, it it is a hard ask it is and yeah it's it's one of those kind of loyal things isn't it that you know it's kind of a question how much do you love your club sort of thing and how, how much dedication you know with families at home and that sort of thing and obviously you know cost of living's going up and all that so you know how much how much motivation how much loyalty do you feel towards being able to go to a game um so yeah th- this week's a big ask for everybody i must admit i mean you know, having a, having a young child, I don't mind the early kickoffs. It, you know, I'm I'm kind of used to it in a in a strange kind of way, and it also means that you get home earlier. But you know, I mean, Manchester's further than you know where I live, really, and the transport links this weekend are particularly challenging. Um, obviously, City are putting coaches on, which is good, but um, yeah, it's a big pat on the back to anybody who goes down to West Ham. I don't know what the ticket sales are like. I know they're still selling tickets, so, you know, presumably the crowd is going to be okay, but maybe not that big. Um, but, yeah, well well done to anybody who makes the trip, but um, hopefully it'll be it'll be worthwhile. And, you know, to be honest, I don't see why not. I think City have got a great chance of getting to another final. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the game then, because it's a bit of a weird one, really, because obviously... We had a, a period just before the international break where we obviously we played Everton and, and then we played Everton in the league 
And then we played West Ham in the league. And obviously now we're in the international break. We're coming back off the international break and now facing West Ham. Um, so two oppositions basically on the bounce, which I think is to have it on the bounce just in a in a, in a regular sort of occurrence is, is strange. But then to have two teams on the bounce in two different competitions is just, I, I think that's unheard of. I don't think I've uh, ever seen it happen twice. So do you think it makes it easier playing against, you know, an opposition on the bounce or, you know, is it, does it make it a little bit difficult because you don't know what you're going to get second time around? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I don't know whether if you win the first game, it makes the second one more difficult. I think the Everton game, I think City absolutely coasted in that league game. And I think Everton came out the second game thinking that they'd done a better job. I think they were 2-0 down and then they conceded two late goals and that kind of killed it off. But I think you can probably argue that City couldn't do much more going into that second game. But then on the other side of the coin, Everton could only learn from the first one. So, yeah, to be fair, they kind of narrowed the gap a little bit. West Ham didn't have a shot on target in the first game against City. I think City had something like 18 shots and scored two goals. So, you know, from an from an away side's point of view, you, you can't get much better than that. You know, obviously, other than running out three or four nil winners, but yeah, I suppose West Ham have been disappointed with that, and obviously, this is this is the one thing they've got left to play for this season. So, you know, if they can't get themselves up and you know try to improve on Saturday, then you know that that that's all they can do. So, yeah, it's it's a weird one. It, it is the sequence of it is weird, but yeah, I'd maybe expect West Ham to. You know, I suppose from City's point of view, it's how do they continue to perform the same way and get the same outcome? Whereas West Ham, really, you know, no shots on target. They can only improve, really. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a bizarre game. But, I mean, as we were saying, you know, there's some players who've gone on mammoth journeys for both sides, you know, on international duty. So, you know, the, these games straight after interna- in, after the international break, you know, obviously Saturday lunchtime kickoff as well. It'll be interesting to see how some of these players are kind of fitness and, you know, conditioning wise, because, you know, we're saying they're Lana Kennedy and Russell 40 hours flight, flying time each way, two games, I think four flights each way. They might have had eight flights all together to go in. <laughs> yeah. Alana broke a nose as well. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this one turns out. And because of all the international football, it'd be interesting to see, what kind of game we get as well. Are we going to get a thriller or are we going to get something where players are just battling to get through the 90 minutes and, you know, have a week's rest? Yeah. Um, Do you think this one favours West Ham a little bit more then, given that they've probably had more players held back? I think it'll be tight. I think it has, from West Ham's point of view, it has to be tight. They've they've got to go into that game and be in with a chance of getting to Wembley again. Um, You know, home game, they'll... I would. I don't think the men are playing, so I think um, you know they should get a decent crowd for that kickoff. Um, so yeah, from from their point of view, as I say, that the safe they've got nothing really to fight for. You know, this has to be. This almost has to be their cup final. They can't afford for it not to be a tight game. Um, City's point of view, they just need to keep doing what they're doing. I think the early goal obviously helped in the. Um, the other game, they might not get such luck this time, so it might be a case of being a little bit more persistent and patient with what they're trying to do. And you know, they've got enough quality on the pitch. As I say, I think they created something like eighteen chances last time they played West Ham, so they've got more than enough quality out there. Um, 
but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, and yeah, I, I think it's going to be both managers might have to get a balance of players who've based on what action they've had for the countries in the last couple of weeks. I mean, Bunny Shaw's another one. I think didn't she play on Tuesday for Jamaica? I think again, she's going to have a huge time flying. What kind of fitness is she going to be in? I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think this is going to be all about man- managing fitness condition. You know who, who's who's feeling it that they can go out and they you know they're in tip top condition for the weekend. You know to be able to perform to their absolute very best. But yeah, given the nature of the kickoff time, um, you know, and the fact that West Ham aren't particularly a bad time, uh, a bad team at home, this could be a bit of a long hard slog for both sides. I think, and you know, it might not necessarily be a classic. It might be more of who wins the battle. I think that makes it worse. <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, I mean, what have you made of obviously this West Ham team under Oli Harder since obviously he's came in as manager? I mean, they've obviously improved in areas, but still a little bit inconsistent. I think he's done a good job. I think I spoke to him after the, I can't remember what it was last year. Was it 5-1 or 4-1 towards the end of last season at City at the Academy Stadium? And he was very, very... Um, kind of cheesed off with the fact that he never had a fully fit squad. He had more players in the treatment room than actually available for selection. I think there was games when he maybe only had a squad of, you know, 12 or 13 fit players. Um, and from his point of view with his recruitment, his the biggest thing for him was he wanted a squad who could play. Um, and I think to, to a degree he's got that this year. I think he's only got one player out injured at the minute. He's had obviously had a little bit of COVID and, I think Adriana Leon was on out for a while, but he succeeded in bringing in players who are fit and got good fitness records. They're healthy and they're available every week. So, in terms of what his, his his main ambition was last year, in terms of building his squad over last summer, I think he's achieved that. Um, they are difficult to beat at home, although since Christmas the the forms maybe nose dived a little bit at home, but they have had City and Chelsea to play, so that's kind of understandable. Um, away, they maybe haven't got as many wins, but they are still difficult to beat. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think West Ham are a, a pushover. Um, you know, I, th- I think they are capable of winning more games than they were last year. Um, he's going to have to build again, and you know, you look at the players he's brought in; they're all players who've probably got a link to where he's been in the past as well. So yeah, I think he's he's being clever about what he's done and. Yeah, quite impressed with what he's done. I, th- I think there's more to come from West Ham and they're a work in progress, but they're a very, very solid, um, you know, reliable team. And I, I don't think they'll be an easy opponent, but I'd still expect City to win the game. Yeah. I mean, West Ham, for me, they're kind of like one of those teams where, you know, on the day you never know what, <laughs> what you're going to get from West Ham. Uh, and they can almost take you by supply, surprise at times, you know. And like you said, they've had some really good moments this season, and they've got the makings of a, a really good team, a strong team. And I, I kind of do feel that they're a, a different West Ham sort of team under Oli Harder as well. He seems to have obviously got some really good ideas, and I think it's obviously just bringing that to the sort of forefront of the squad itself, and and, and implementing it within that sort of squad and the mentality and the philosophy and. And that kind of thing. So do you think it's going to be a busy summer for West Ham in terms of building their squad for next season? I think you need to be careful. I think he's got a really good base of players now. So I think it's just kind of layering on new signings on top. I don't think he'll go whole hog like he had to last year because, you know, as I say, he probably 
had six or seven reliable players and the remainder really couldn't really afford to keep on based on fitness records and you know maybe the competition wasn't there as well so um, I think he will sign more players it wouldn't surprise me if he went to kind of that New Zealand or Australian kind of area again or into Scandinavia where he's worked previously um, I don't think he'll sign many players from the Super League if I'm honest but yeah, I'd expect him to maybe, you know, maybe another four or five players just to kind of top it up. But um, I think they're a solid ta- a solid team. I think when they get it right, I think they've got every chance of getting a result. And, you know, I mean, if you look at the start of last year before Ali came in, and you know, the, I, I don't think they actually won a home game last year. All last season, I think, you know, I remember Arsenal hitting about nine past them at the start of last season and they didn't win a home game. Quite and this a few year, high-scoring games, were Yeah, it? I mean, this, this year... Certainly, until they played Chelsea just after Christmas, I, you know, I, I think they were possibly unbeaten at home. So, you know, he's, he's completely changed it. They're much harder to beat. They're capable of winning games, as I say. I mean, last year he was almost playing for goalless draws to stay in the league at the end of last season. So, um, very different. They have improved, and yeah, it'll be it'll be a tweak rather than wholesale changes this summer. It'll just be kind of to grow on what he's already done, but. I think his, 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 his record from, was it Norway, where he's worked previously, where he turned a struggling team round to, you know, one of them teams challenging towards the top. Uh, you know, I think he started doing that at West Ham. So it'd be interesting to see where they go. Yeah, definitely. Um, so in terms of the game itself, then, uh, obviously you've sort of spoke of, of hopefully a City win, which is what we're all, <laughs> we're all hoping for, but... Um, obviously, it's, we know it's going to be a difficult game and, you know, West Ham are probably going to chuck it a lot at it in terms of, you know, wanting that progression in the in the competition itself. I mean, you know, it's it's the final, it's Wembley, everyone wants to get there. So in terms of, you know, cities though, and and, and like you said, this the season we've had so far and the positives that we can most certainly take is certainly this sort of half of the season since December Um you know, coming back into the new year and, you know, the return of, you know, players to the squad. How do you see the rest of the season playing out for City in terms of that, you know, fight for third place and and potentially Champions League next season with it obviously becoming so tight in and around that sort of top three position on the table? I think City have got favourable games pretty much between now and the end of the season. I think obviously Man United have got to go to Chelsea the last day as well and, yeah, I think I think the ball's in City's court. I mean, we've got a home Leicester and Birmingham, I think. They might have another one, but again, you'd expect them to take six from those games, definitely. Um, but um, yeah, I think the games are favourable. I think City are playing well. You, can, you can't really see any weakness. So yeah, I, you know, I think they've got a very good chance of third. I think, that, you know, if they beat West Ham and get to Wembley, it's then a question of, you know, which Arsenal or Chelsea team turn up, potentially you might be playing a side which has just lost out on the um, the title. Obviously, equally, you can argue you might have be playing a side who are kind of full of beans after lifting the title as well. But yeah, I suppose regardless of the result on Saturday, you don't really know, if you get to the final, you don't really know what kind of mental opponent you're going to receive you know you're going to be you're going to be playing against you could be playing you know if, if I don't know Arsenal or Chelsea have lost the title and they're on the floor it might be difficult for them to pick it up and you know if City have just qualified for Europe then you know they might be feeling an awful lot better about the game so yeah it's going to be difficult to see how the season pans out but the position we're in you wouldn't back against 
City get qualifying for Europe in third and then getting to the final and obviously anybody in that final you know should really have a chance of winning it if they get it right on the day it'd be great to obviously look forward to a final but I kind of just feel at the moment like it is like it's the business end of the season and I think there's more there's more focus on kind of like top three finish at the moment you know like just just with this last run of games like you said I think they're quite favourable like you said we've got Leicester, Brighton, uh, Birmingham haven't we still left to play because obviously that got postponed and then Reading on the final day last day of the season so and, and that's away so you know it's it's you like, like you said, you know, United have got Chelsea, you know, could the goal difference also come into play? You, you just don't really know. And I think to be in this position that we're in now, I think as fans and obviously looking back on the season so far, um, but, you know, we've got, a, we've got a cup in the Conti Cup as well. And, you know, I think it's it's been such a turnaround in, in such really what's been a relatively short space of time. Yeah, I mean, Gareth's proved that he's got all the credentials to um, continue in the job and lead City into future success, I think. Um, you know, he, he never gives many emotions away, does he really? But, um, you know, he's. Uh, <laughs> I think he's well equipped. He's obviously got lots of coaching experience, um, you know, to bring, the, the, bring the, the team back from where it was as well when, you know, maybe he was getting... Kind of too sorry is you know towards um, November time. Um, you know he's done really well. Obviously, there's no other manager in the league who's had to deal with as many player absences as as he has. Um, I think he's working well off the pitch with the um, you know the the recruitment people really to make sure they've got a squad for next season. It sounds as though you know there's a couple of deals potentially already done or as good as done, which is good. They sound like good players coming in. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think to be fair on the th- on the on the the point of finishing third, obviously, um, you know the Super League money is a big thing these days. The Champions League money, you know, is is getting more lucrative as well. And you know, if if you if you want to be a top team, you have to be playing in the Champions League. It's the same as in the men's, isn't it? So you know, the the FA Cup, obviously, this season there's a lot, not a lot of prize money on it, but again, that tournament will grow. But um, yeah, I think every, every club wants to play in the Champions League. Every club wants to win the Champions League. So naturally, that's got to be the first focus and, you know, make sure that you're not the, the English team who aren't playing in the Champions League next season. No, we want that to be United. <laughs> I'm not commenting on that one. I don't want to offend anyone. But um, yeah, I think, yeah. I, I mean, it's going to be interesting because it is you know, the, the more clubs which invest the more clubs are going to go and chase that kind of Champions League dream. So you'd hope that it's going to get more exciting going for, you know, you're not going to have that Arsenal, Chelsea, possibly Man City top three. It's going to get a little bit more interesting in there, particularly as well if in future seasons you've got three clubs in the last stage of the Champions League and then you've got, you know, another three clubs who aren't playing in Europe but they're investing heavily to be in Europe, then, you know, it's maybe going to mix things up and bring some new challenges. But, um, yeah, I think everybody wants to be in the Champions League. Everybody, that, that's got to be the ultimate aim, really. And, you know, it should be no different for City because obviously it's a trophy that they want and it's one that they haven't had yet. You kind of know when you're going in the right direction. I always remember, like, just looking at back at, uh, you know, Premier League days where it, it was all about the top four and now it's about the top six. 
And now we're seeing that with the women's game where it was all, it was all about the top three and now it's about the top six. You know what I mean? I think that's always a sign of progression. You know, when you when you start, you know, it's it's not just about, you know, your Champions League places. You, you, you're looking at the other teams around you too and recognising that they're just as good. Yeah, absolutely. And I, to be fair, I think there's possibly going to be, I mean, I don't know this, but I'm guessing there's going to be changes next season. I'm guessing there might be two up in the championship, obviously potentially two down from the Super League, although I understand they're possibly wanting to change it to a 14-team league. So, you know, maybe it'd be two or three up from the championship and one down from the Super League initially, I I don't know. Um, And then kind of same, possibly the remainder of the structure. So whether you have, you know, tier three, maybe you have a north and south promotion and you get two down from the championship. So, you know, there's the, the Champions League battle is going to be interesting but I think yeah it's going to get a whole lot more competitive further down the pyramid as well and I think I mean it's it's not everybody's cup of tea but if you're not willing to invest in your team and, and your club um, you're not going to stay very high for very long I don't think because I think you know you're looking at clubs like Southampton and Wolves the two top teams in Ipswich and you know the teams in the championship the Charlton's the London City's it wouldn't surprise me if Durham went full time as well. Um, you know, t- teams are wanting to get up the pyramid. So, you know, if, if you're not wanting to build, there's possibly no no kind of place for your club at the high level that you may be at. It might be, you know, you, I think you are going to see some change in the positions. And I don't want to bring Birmingham into it too much. But obviously, you know, if Birmingham don't find investment, then I could see them slipping down the pyramid a little bit just because of the fact that the rest of it's getting stronger and the investment's getting stronger around them. So the competition's getting harder. But yeah, I think we're we're heading into an exciting period. I think it's going to be a period where there's a lot of fighting for a lot of different promotions and and qualifications as well. Uh, I think we've kind of seen that with Liverpool as well, really. You know, there was this yeah, everyone was surprised to obviously see them go down a couple of the seasons ago and it's took them a couple of seasons to get back up again, but it just goes to show that it was kind of like a bit of the wake up call that they needed. They got the right man in for the job, you know, through Matt Beard. And, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a journey for them, but, you know, it's great to see, you know, the likes of Liverpool back, who will be back in the WSL next season. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, that's a prime example that if you don't get it right, or if you're not, you know, if you're not committed to getting it right, then, you haven't got a kind of a given right to be where you are. You know, you no nobody's too big for the league. If you don't, if you don't invest the right amount of money or get it right on and off the pitch, then you know maybe you have got to take a step back. And you know, it's almost been like a, a couple of seasons of kind of rehabilitation for Liverpool and a regroup to get back together, kind of work out which players that you know that they want to keep in the squad who's maybe not not at the right level and. Obviously, Matt's brought in players who he knows and, you know, he's, he's got the best out of some of the players. He's maybe got a little bit lucky as well with injuries. I think he took a bit of a punt on Leanne Keenan and obviously Megan Campbell as well. But, you know, they've 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 got fit at the right time. And, you know, looking at Megan Campbell, to be fair with them, kind of missile throws that she seems to have. If, um, you know, if, if she can stay fit next season, then, you know, that could be worth, you know, six points in itself. So... Yeah, it is a reminder that, you know, if you don't have the right structure in place or the right investment in place, that, 
you know, you might have to take a step back and, you know, you might get a nasty shock that, you know, if, if, you, if you're not prepared and you're not committed, then, you know, sadly, there might not be a place for you in the elite game. I mean, the, the Championship League itself has been so brilliant. I think this season is, is, has been a standout um, in terms of that little bit more attention, a little bit more focus on it, just because the quality on show, you know, that, we, that we've seen throughout the season. You know, Bristol have done so well as well um, in that season, obviously, with their demotion last season and, and obviously now in playing in the Championship. Um, and have gave a really good account of themselves, and they again look, you know, strong, you know, if they carry on the way they are, and and maybe just get a couple of players in just to bolster their squad, they could be one of the teams that could well be certainly in contention. But I, I think in terms of growing the leagues, like you've already said, in terms of the restructure, I mean, it is it, it it's got to be inevitable, surely. I think it's next season. Yeah, I really do. I, I haven't heard anything for sure, but I know that the aim was to potentially have a 14 team Super League and a 14 team championship. And obviously, more than one relegation spot would be the desirable outcome as well to make it more competitive. Because as we've seen with Liverpool, if you win the title, then nobody else has got anything else to to play for. So I, I kind of feel that I'm sure that's in the pipeline for next season. I don't think we can go much further without that happening to be honest um it's just a question of when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen because as i say you can you can you can possibly say that you know you could do two two teams up but you know obviously if you're going to have a, t- a league of 14 in the super league it's then kind of does anybody get relegated it, it might be another franchising thing i hope not i'm hope i hope it's done on merit but you know why, why not do three up and one down or something like that and you know, build it up bit by bit that way. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I hope I hope it's not those with the most money win the positions like it was in 2018. I'm, I'm hoping there's some sporting merit behind it. And, you know, by doing that, it'll make the leagues a little bit more competitive as well next season if they do choose to boost the leagues up. I just wanted to touch upon the other, um, obviously, internationally, it was a really busy international break. But also, I mean, we had two players out, Keaton uh, and Reba Mace with the England squad. And they had, uh, have obviously qualified as well for the um, for the unders. So, again, that's that's absolutely fantastic. But great to see the youth doing well, too, um, on an international level. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you tend to think of youth as being kind of a, a greater divide between nations. But I think if you look at some of those unders championships in the last few years, they're actually quite tight. And, you know, you can never really go in and predict. I don't know if you look at the Men's World Cup, for example, or the unders, you'd always kind of think, you know, well, you've always got that picture of the Brazilians, for example, having the ball at the feet when they're about two or three years old. So, you know, they must have some talent in there. But I don't think it's... I think the unders with the women is really, really tight, actually. I don't think it's as, you know, I don't think you get that many one-sided scorelines. And I think it was under 20s World Cup. I think I watched, is it Haiti and Germany a couple of years back, the year before the French women's, the senior World Cup. And I think that was a 3-2 game. And yeah, I think, you know, the, the youth football is quite competitive. So for England to qualify and, you know, go into a major tournament, I think is... Um, you know, really good thing. I think it's um, it's 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 not an easy thing to achieve. You know, as I say, it might feel like you know you'd expect to see all the usual nations there, but yeah, I think you know if you look at that finals tournament and you know when the draws made and everything, and 
you know, you try and guess the winner, I think he'll probably not come out with the team who you'd expect to win it as the actual winners. I'm just very reluctant, obviously, heading into this game after the back of such an, an intense <laughs> an intense international break because we've had so many players away, like you said. Blackstad, obviously, she had to withdraw because she got COVID, uh, tested positive, I believe, with COVID. And like you said, you know, you mentioned Bunny too. Uh, Angledard, I think she's got a hat-trick in one of her games as well. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's always pleasing to see, you know, your players go off. And, and I think we've got a really good spread now internationally for City uh, in terms of those players going away from international duty but equally it's also good just to get them back (laughs) and get them back fit apart from Milana's broken nose to get them back uh, fit and well and and that's just not I'm not just talking about City but you know for everyone else as well because you know these sort of um, international breaks at the moment like you said it's for the players individually for those that are uh, you know playing at a club level and playing obviously internationally too, the scheduling at the moment has become really intense too, and and they're not really getting much of the time for themselves. So as professional athletes, I mean they're really giving everything and sacrificing an awful lot too in the same at the same time. Yeah, I think it's yeah you always want to see a full complement back fit, but yeah, I think I think this weekend is going to be really tough. I really do, and I think that's the same probably for City and West Ham, but maybe even more so for City. Obviously, you had the Greenwood injury and. You know, I think Lucy Bruns took a knock while she was away. I think, but although she's, I think she's absolutely fine. You've got Kennedy with the the broken nose, who I think will be fine as well. You've got Blackstad with COVID, and you've obviously then got all those travel implications to think about. That you know, players. I mean, I don't know how far Bunny's travel, but that's that's not going to be an easy flight neither. I wouldn't have thought so. Um, you know, and then even the England players playing two games, albeit you know maybe not overly competitive, but you know, it's still possibly two games more than they might play in a space of time for the club, depending on the calendar. So I think it's going to be difficult difficult to balance. As I say, my concern this particular game, I think, is the fact that you've got kind of that many kind of rest of the world players playing in the game that it's got, or potentially available for selection that it's going to have to be carefully balanced by both managers in terms of who plays what minutes, I think. But yeah, hopefully everybody has come back. And as I say, with, with, with Blackstad, I don't know when she'll get a two negatives and clear to play, but I'm guessing it might not be for this week. I've got to say, though, Gareth has been, has shown really good um, player management in terms of, you know, when looking at the team, looking at his availability, his players and managing those minutes for players too. Um, you know, it's something that he's, you know, he's not afraid to do. Yeah, I think, um, again, he's proved with his management across the season that he's capable of doing the job and he's doing a good job. So, you know, you can't really criticise him. I know there's some players who we'd like to see get more minutes than they've possibly got. But, you know, if you've got, again, if you've got a winning team and you're winning games and you're playing decent football, you can't really criticise him. So, you know, he's, he's, had to, he's had to kind of deal with his squad quite well this year. Obviously, at some, some games he's had very minimal players available. He's had young players on the bench. And, yeah, no, I think he's done a good job. I think he's got, um, you know, the, the minutes out of the players that he's needed to. Even, obviously, they've played a lot of games since Christmas as well. But, you know, he, he seems to have done well in terms of, you know, the performances haven't dipped 
which again is a sign that he's given the players the right amount of minutes and the right amount of recovery time. So there's consistency and that's obviously come down to his kind of consistent approach to selection and conditioning. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're just going to have to see what happens. I'm not even going to ask you for a prediction because I actually think it's hard to call at this point. I yeah, I think it's tight. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's 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 a bit of a journey into the unknown just because there's maybe factors going into this game that, you know, you, you maybe couldn't foresee, you know, with the international and, you know, the, the early kickoff and, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. But as I said, I think one thing for sure is that you'll have two teams giving absolutely everything in. You know, you, you can never write West Ham off. You know, if, if West Ham play well, I think it'll be a very, very tight game. If City manage to break him down early, then West Ham will find it very, very difficult to get back in the game. So, yeah, um, it, there might not be a lot of goals in it. It might not be a classic, as I say, and, and I know you don't want this from a fan's point of view, but it could be a nail-biter to the end, I think. Extra time? No, no, let's not even go there. Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> let's but, not even yeah. go there. No, 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 let's not even go there. Dan, thank you ever so much for joining me. I appreciate it as always. Do you want to tell us about the latest edition of the FA? Yeah, the latest man's gone to print at the minute. Um, Should probably be on the OSC stall at next weekend's game against Leicester, I would say. I might even deliver them in person, so yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Otherwise, if, if you can't get to the game, if you drop us a, a message on Twitter, then um, yeah, we'll sort you out. Nice one, Dan. Thank you ever so much. Um, and hopefully, yeah, we'll catch up soon. I mean, there's not long left to go, but uh, I'm sure at some point we can uh, chew over the season. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we'll be talking Euros as well, won't we, as well? So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's going to be a busy summer, definitely. But uh, thank you for your time. And uh, as always, it's been great to speak to you. All right, lovely. Cheers. Thanks for having us on, Emmet. Cheers. And that's it for this episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks to Dan once again for joining me. We'll be back next week. If you are travelling down to London at the weekend, have a safe trip. Uh, Take care and stay safe.